But today I want us to pick up Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 29 through 40 and uh, consider that uh, faith is recognized by how it behaves. Faith is recognized by how it behaves. And uh, I'll read the passage and give an introduction of what faith really means when we talk about it biblically. Uh, but let us take up the narrative in chapter 11 and verse 29. By faith, the people, Israel, crossed the Red Sea as on dry land. But the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. By faith, Rahab the prostitute did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell you of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight, Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. Uh, he's giving us what is known as the Hall of Faith, a brief sketching of Old Testament believers and their faith in God and how they behave under certain circumstances. Uh, I like to say that uh, when we talk about the faith, uh, there's several ways it's used. Number one, it's used to refer to the body of truth called the Bible, uh, content for the faith. This is the object that God's given us. It's his word, and uh, we're not bibliolaters that we worship a book. What we do, we worship the God who gave the book. Okay, we worship the God. Uh, it'd be about like my wife writes me a love letter and I start worshiping the letter. 
I'm in love with the letter. No, 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 no. The letter is the expression of our heart. So we love God's Word because it's Him talking to us, but we're not people that worship a book, per se, and we get accused of that. But this is the object of our faith insofar as we know what to believe. This is what we believe. And so you hear Paul saying, First Timothy, they have departed from the faith. What is he talking about? The faith. What's been revealed in Scripture. But when we pick up Hebrews 11, he's not talking about creedal faith. Okay? He's talking about lived out faith. Faith in action. I want to quote to you something that a writer, Guthrie, said it, to make the distinction and see if this uh, may resonate with you. It may not, but since you're hearing me, you get it free. Sometimes faith is misunderstood as summed up in a faith equals creed. Faith e What's the faith? Uh, I believe justification by faith. Good. I believe Jesus is coming again. Good. I believe you must be born again. Good. And so they make faith only as creedal. But watch. Sometimes faith is misunderstood as summed up in a faith equal creed approach. The New Testament does refer to the faith as a set of beliefs, but generally denotes something much more dynamic and active, a life lived in a trust relationship with God. This active faith certainly rests on sound belief, but it cannot be summed up by cognitive assent only. The stance of faith equals creed remains a danger for anyone who rightly places a great deal of emphasis on doctrine. And that's how I grew up, especially going to seminary. The more doctrine you hear, all the faith is some doctrinal issue, doctrine, doctrine. Well, you must have that. But what Hebrews is talking about is not Doctrine believed, but doctrine obeyed. Truth responded to. And he's going to show all these circumstances, none of which happens in a classroom or in a church that we're arguing over when is Christ coming again. He's making the point faith is more than a creed, more than right belief. You say, well, I'm Catholic. So what? I'm Baptist. So what? I'm Presbyterian. So what? Ultimately, how are you living out your life? Are you living it in trust and faith in God, in your decisions, in the direction of your life? Uh, let me give you the idea that there is faith as an act. We believe in a moment. But then there's faith as an attitude. Are you walking in an attitude of reliance on God? Four ways faith is sometimes used. Four ways. Just get, if you can put down R, it'll help you remember. First of all, faith that receives Christ and what God has said. It simply is the empty hand that receives what God has to say to us. That's faith. I receive 
to as many as receive Christ, to those who believe on his name, he gives the right to become children of God. John 1, 12. So it's a faith that receives. Two, faith is a faith that reckons. And that means it counts on God to do whatever he said. You remember, choose that way in Romans 6, 11. Reckon yourselves to be dead to sin. It's a faith that I reckon on God to carry out what he said he would do. I receive it. I reckon on it. Three, it's a faith that risks. It's a faith willing to take the risk to do something because you are convinced God has said it. God wants you to do it. Whatever the situation, but you'll risk yourself to take that action in firm conviction that God is leading, God is showing. So it's a faith that will take great risk. Finally, it's a faith that just rests. It just rests in the promise. When you're suffering, when you've got sickness that won't go away, when you've got circumstances that you can't snap away, you're living with things that you say, when does this go away? You say, I can rest in God's promises in the meantime. So I receive by faith. I reckon on it by faith. I'm willing to risk myself in faith. And I'm willing to rest in faith. Now, as we look at chapter 11, three things maybe hold it together for us. First of all, the faith that conquers in the struggles of life. Faith that conquers. That's the first thing we'll be looking at. Second thing is a faith that continues even in the sufferings of life. One conquers, the other continues to even in suffering. It's, it doesn't abandon. It, it re remains trusting God no matter whether he slays them or not, as Job said, even if this God slays me, I will trust him. And thirdly, it's a faith that is completed in Christ alone. Only Christ binds the Old Testament saints and New Testament believers together. Let's start, and on the little survey he gives, of those who were conquerors through Christ, by faith. Look what they did by faith. And he said, first of all, they went across the Red Sea in verse 29. Israel coming out of Egypt. Remarkable, remarkable deliverance. Then, let's just move on in the narrative. Verse 30, by faith, when they came to the city of Jericho, it fell down after it had been encircled for seven days. Well, you'd have to read the early chapters of Joshua. Joshua was leading. Jericho was a fortified city. It kind of blocked the entrance into the land of Canaan. It was insurmountable. Here we've got over 2 million people, and in that number, many are children, many are women, and you've got a nation of brick makers, nobody ever taught military warfare. They know nothing. They've been marching in a wilderness for 40 years. It's 
just hoping for something to eat. And all of a sudden, we crossed Jordan, and we've got the city there that to go into the land, we've got to get past them and their army, their fortifications. What does God do? What is the plan of attack? God tells Joshua, march the children of Israel around the city once each day, and on the final day, march around it seven times. If you read the narrative in Joshua 6, he doesn't question, there's no doubt, he didn't talk back to God. Who do you think we are, a bunch of idiots? This isn't what you learn at West Point. This isn't how you win battles. March, we've been marching for 40 years. What is this plan of attack? God didn't have this argument with Joshua because he, he has no questions. It's amazing to hear Abraham and these different ones. God just says it, and they do it, and some of you have been arguing with God for years. You keep editing God. You didn't mean that, did you, God? I meant it. When are you going to do it? Well, well you can't. I, I don't interpret that right. Your problem in interpretation, it's obedience. It's plain. I used to tell people, I read it in Hebrew, Greek, and Oki, and it says do it. Just do it. You, some of you are looking for a better translation. What God's looking is a better life. When will you do it? And guess what they do? Seventh day, they just march, and archaeologists have looked up the city. It didn't fall outward. It fell inward. It's remarkable. It, it just wiped out, just like God said. They didn't fire a shot. Devastated. Everyone in the city died except one woman and her family, and he mentions her. A woman by the name of Rahab. By faith, Rahab was saved. Now, Rahab's an interesting gal. Her vocation was she was a prostitute, okay? Uh, her ethnicity, she was from a tribe that was meant to be demolished in the land. She was an Amorite. Uh, she was a pagan worshiper. Uh, she was a Gentile. I mean, this woman's got nothing going for her. I mean, she is uh, number one to be knocked off, but Joshua had sent some spies to go spy out the city, and this woman took in the spies, hid them, and risked her life to hide them, told them how to escape the city. When they was inquired about who they were, she lied about it. Come on, when you're a prostitute, lying makes sense. She didn't have to come up with some big story. Hey, she protected them. And the spies said, you know what? Because you have exercised faith. Because she told them, I've heard about your God. I've heard about what he did at the Exodus. I heard how he got you out of Egypt. I believe your God's going to give you this land. I believe your God is going to get you out. They said, because you believe our God, we're going to tell you this. You take this scarlet thread and you put it out the window you let us escape out of, hang that there, get all your family you can into your house, 
And on the day we take this city, God will protect you somehow, your mother, your father, your family, your children, your whoever. Get them all in there, and they will come under divine protection on that day. And would you believe it happened just like God said? And all she did is believe the God of the Exodus is going to deliver these people, and she did it. You know, it's interesting when you talk to people why they don't come to Christ. You hear this. Uh, first of all, well, I didn't know much about the Bible. She knew nothing about the Bible. There was no Bible. She'd only heard this God could roll back the Red Sea. This God could get slaves out of Egypt. This God could demolish the Egyptian army. Whoever's pulling this off, I believe in him. You don't have to know a lot of Bible to be a Christian. Just, it's a seed. You just start out. Well, you believe what you know. Uh, she could have said, uh, uh, I'm too bad to be saved. Too bad. Wait, wh wh what have you done that's so bad? Well, I'm an Amorite. Genesis 15 says God's going to destroy us. My, my people are all going to be destroyed. Okay, what else? Well, I don't have too good a lifestyle. Well, what else? Uh, I'm a pagan. I worship other gods. God hasn't found anybody too hard to save. See, God saves the unworthy, the unlikely, and the ungodly. That qualifies you. Unworthy, unlikely, and ungodly. Isn't that how he found us? We, we weren't seeking God. No man seeks after God. He sought us. We didn't choose God. He chose us. God wanted me. I didn't want him. You didn't want God. It might have taken cancer to get your attention. God has ways of getting your attention. He looks good when all your friends have left and the doctor walks out shaking his head and you have no hope. God looks real good. That's why the critics call it uh, a desperate man's religion. Yes, it is. The race is all desperate. They just don't know it. And uh, she could have had all kinds of excuses. Uh, what will my family think? Have you ever thought of that? If I take Christ, what will my mom and dad think? Guess what this woman says? I'm going to tell my mom and dad that I put faith in the true God, and there's only protection in my house. I trust my faith and this little uh, scarlet thread that I'm going to put out this window. It's going to save me when this city caves in. God saved her. I'll tell you a remarkable thing about her. Rahab. Are you aware that Rahab is one of the four women that show up in the genealogy of Christ? She not only uh, was delivered from her vocation, she got into the Messianic family. She married a Jewish boy by the name of Salmon. S-A-L-M-O-N. And guess what? They started a family together as a legitimate woman, no longer as a prostitute, but as a married woman. And she has a boy named Boaz, 
and Boaz happens to marry Ruth, and Ruth happens to give birth. Eventually, we get down to David, and David, guess what? The Messiah, God, the Savior, Jesus Christ, she's a part of the family tree. What you can do in a day if you'll believe God. She just believed God. Put her whole life behind her and says, you mean I'm in the Messianic family tree? Yes, you are. All I did was believe. <laughs> Could God make it any better? Did you know what the Bible says? If you will believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved, God will make you a member of his family, and someday we will reign together with Christ. We're heirs and joint heirs. Someday, it says in his word, we shall rule over the nations together with Christ. And all you did was, I believe you. I take you. Some of you are making it too hard. Quit it. Quit it. Quit lying about God. He made it easy as just being born from above. Will you believe me that I can save you? I can give you a new life. I can forgive you. Don't call God a liar. He can do it. He's done it for millions. Why wouldn't he do it for you? Only if you refuse to put your faith in him. He's waiting on you. Believe me. I, I want to get saved again just reading about it. Man, uh, watch this. Don't get excited. Church, just at the mall. It goes on, and he mentions he's selective in the list. He goes in, then he mentions Gideon. And if you know the story of Gideon in the book of Judges, he's a man that God calls us, I want you to deliver my people from the Midianites. First of all, he says, I'm not worthy, I'm not capable. I'm, he gives all these disclosures that, wow, I cannot. And then he gets an army of 10,000 people. Boy, if you're not capable, just get a lot of people around you, and that makes you capable. Guess what God does? Uh, you got too many men. Too many men. Have you seen the Midianites? They're like the locusts. He said, no, you got too, too many men. How do I have too many men? If you win now, you'll take the credit, credit for the battle and say you did it because you had a large army. I got a little test. I want them to go down to the river, and I want them to lap water, and those who lap water the way I like is going to be your army. They go down, and when they get through, there's only 300 guys that God gives Gideon. Now, I want to tell you, I don't like that. I want to feel numbers. He said, there's no one like a king in the midst of his army. I want to feel like I'm strong. If I've got you with me, we can make it. God says, Gideon, it's not the arm of flesh that you need. You need me. And I'm going to give you 300 men and watch how I'm going to deliver Israel from the Midianites. And he takes this guy that didn't even want the job, got a big army, and guess what? He simply believed God. They routed the Midianites, and he still made a lot of mistakes. By the way, all the people in the list, they're known for their faith. Their only virtue is faith because they all blow it some way. Abraham lies about his wife. Gideon sets up an idol in a house. He still took credit for the battle, but he knows it wasn't the army that did it. 
He only had 300 men. We are such egomaniacs. We'll always take the glory and leave God out. That's why faith always gives God the glory. Faith will trust him to do what you know you can't do. It's, it's the remarkable story. Well, he keeps showing. He mentions other people. Barak, you wouldn't even know that in the book of Judges. And Barak wasn't worth spit if he didn't have Deborah. That's why my daughter loves her name. She said, you men couldn't make it without us Deborahs. Huh? You read the story. Barak was afraid to go to war. And then Deborah, she's a prophetess. She tells him to go. And then get this. Barak goes to war, and they win the battle. And guess who kills the king? A little woman by the name of Jael who drove a tent spike through his skull. The Bible is not boring, friend. You better gear up for it. I mean, when he's asleep, she gets over there, boom, puts it through. The king couldn't say, I defeated the king. A woman did, and a prophetess told him to go to war. Barak, you're doing good to even be mentioned. How much God has gotten done in this world through godly women who believe him. They've waited a long time on some of those deadbeat men to get with the stick. Have you all, I used to quote that wonderful theological line. We often tell women to follow the men. And I heard it said, it's hard to follow a park truck. <laughs> Where are you going? Are you going anywhere? Well, let's move right on. Uh, that's convicting. Uh, then we come to Samson. Wow. You mean Samson's mentioned for his faith? He really was. But it doesn't mention all of his women. His virtue was faith, but it was flawed to the hilt. He was a he-man with she trouble. You know, that's kind of good, isn't it? He-man he with she trouble. How many men have been ruined because they didn't know what to do with women? And we always blame the women. No, a little wine, a little wealth, and a woman has ruined more men than you can shake a stick at. And let's not blame the women. God made them to be pretty. And we just don't know. The eyes of man are never satisfied. When you've got a when you've got 500 of them in the harem, might as well add 500 more. Hey, Solomon, I just figured that out. It'd take me three years if I visit the harem every night with a different woman. It'd take me three years to find out who I'm married to. That's a little scary, especially when you're getting as old as me. I just can't imagine. <laughs> Samson, though, is known for the strength God gave him. Strength, because even when he died, he trusted God, pulled the pillars down, and the Philistines, a great party. But it was faith they're being commended for, not their mistakes. Not their mistakes. There are no heroes in the Bible but God. All human heroes are flawed, because our faith does not rest in men, but in God. Do you find that hard to believe? 
When did God tell you to put your faith in Samson? When did God tell you to put your faith in me? I don't save. I don't save. I don't heal. I'm not what this church needs. What this church needs is God. It needs Christ. It needs the Holy Spirit. It needs the Word. I'm just privileged to speak. And today as I prayed, I thought, is it not a joke that God calls us mere men to speak for Him? How do you speak for the voice of eternity? How do you represent an all-knowing, perfect being that speaks universes into existence? And I get up and say, what you really need to hear is me. No, 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 no. I don't, if I were God, I would have changed the plan. I would have sent a CD that we play every Sunday, and we can get the perfect pitch, the perfect voice, and the perfect message. But God, some way, has humbled himself to use people like you and I. Why? I'm amazed. I heard J. Vernon McGee say, I wouldn't go across the street to hear myself preach. And I've joined him. Here's Jephthah, a man that made a foolish vow, pledged his daughter's life if God would give him a victory. And God did it. They, they won spectacularly, and he came home and gave her up. He either sacrificed her or gave her up to perpetual virginity. There's debates on how that goes. He goes on to mention David. And think of David and the five smooth stones and that great feat of faith there in 1 Samuel 17. Samuel, the prophets, what did they do? They conquered kingdoms. Read the book of Judges. They brought justice. They shut the mouths of lions. Daniel in the lion's den. By faith, he tried. Who really shut the mouth of the lion? Was it Daniel or was it God? In all of these, it's God all God is looking for is someone that will believe him. By faith, this happened. My faith, God's supernatural power. My faith towards his ability, he does it, though. Lion, you don't see Daniel wrestling in the lion's den. That lion was hungry could have gone three days without food. If you read the whole narrative, they didn't have any problem killing the other men as they threw them in there. They broke their bones. They say they broke their bones by the time they hit the bottom of the pit. That's how ferocious and hungry they were. And the jaw of the lion was locked all night as long as Daniel's down there. When you trust God, lions are no problem if he chooses to lock their jaw. Then he goes on to say, quench the fury of flames, the Hebrew children. Well, king, whether God delivers us or not, we're not afraid of you, nor your decree. We're not going to bow. And we love the story. We love the story. They went in, and they weren't singed. They weren't burned. What you write, read in the rest of history, thousands went into the furnace, and the heat was there, and they were roasted alive. And he comes to that part. But this is the conquering, the great feats that God has done for his people, for those who believed him. They routed foreign armies. Women received their children back from the dead, as like with Elijah and Elisha. 
And all of a sudden, in verse 35, he makes a eek as a, the hinge of a door. He goes to a different category. He's going from the conquering power of faith to the continuing remaining under pressure when you're suffering and there seems to be no deliverance in view. And look what he says, verse 35. Women receive back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured. Wait, wait, by faith? I thought this was the list of what faith has accomplished. Some were tortured. Some of those who live by faith in God were tortured, refusing to accept release. They knew they had a better life to come. They suffered mocking and flogging, chains, imprisonment, stoning, sawn in two, killed with a sword, ran around in sheepskin, goatskins, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, notice, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts, mountains, and in dens and caves of the earth. Um, uh, the word torture, just give you one word. It's from a, a Greek word that meant a drum kettle. And what it was, they would take a person and stretch them out on the kettle, as it were. Stretch. Sometimes they would break the bones and dislocate you by all the stretching. Oftentimes they would just take a club and beat you to death while you were stretched out on this drum. So the torturing was horrendous. Uh, you only need to read church history to read about Diocletian and men that would melt lead and pour it in the eardrums of Christians or cut their tongues out or disembowel their pregnant wives, on and on, just because they named Jesus Christ as Savior. Um, it said that uh, they were killed by the sword, they were afflicted, they were stoned, even as Stephen was. Uh, they were sawn in two. Jewish tradition tells us that Manasseh, who was the son of Hezekiah, uh, had the prophet Isaiah sawn in two. They only had wooden saws, and they put him uh, in a tree trunk, and they begin to saw him into, and uh, they got halfway through his body, and this is what uh, it said about him. They cut him in two with a wooden saw, and as they were cutting him, Isaiah uttered no complaint and shed no tears, but he ceased not to commune with the Holy Spirit until the saw had cloven him to the middle of his body. And it's repeated thousands of times in church history. Um, 
It's amazing what people have suffered for who claim the faith like we do. Have you ever suffered for Christ? Um, Would you be insulted if you did have to suffer for him? Would you continue? Would you remain steadfast or would you bail out? You know, we kind of jokingly uh, talked about people who quit coming, let's say, during the road construction. A little inconvenience for an American Christian is suffering, kind of torture, or people getting their feelings hurt, or church spats that are not worthy to be mentioned. They're so infantile, so far down the line. You know why a lot of times we don't know each other and why we get picky with each other? We've never suffered together. We used to have a woman and her husband that came to this church, uh, Harlan and Bobby Hawk. Harlan was uh, in the military, American soldier, met Bobby uh, in England. And Bobby would often go in and tell about how great life was in Britain when they were being bombed and when they were hiding in the subway and they had the daily drill, especially when Hitler was bombing them nightly and going to bring London to its knees and going to leave it nothing but ashes. Then they, you know, even at one time, Germans were sending, at the end, they're sending rockets and uh, how do you defend against rockets in the 40s? But she used to talk with somewhat of a fondness of how the British people, we came together in those subways and in all those hiding places. She said, I never felt more British and I never felt closer to the British people than when we were hiding together and here having our city bombed, the ashes up above us, but we actually were suffering together. It is hard to preach and to satisfy opulent, materialistic, hedonistic, self-centered people. And I think the great challenge and conviction to my own heart, what in the world do I have in common with such a suffering group of people? All I could say is I believe in the same God, but I've not had to suffer to know him. I've been spared that. I guess the thing that haunts me, I'm asking myself, would I suffer? And it scares me to think of answering it. Uh, And he finally says here, and all these, though commended through their faith, they did not receive what was promised. And the primary promise was Messiah. The Messiah's coming. Oh, there's a promised land. There's a city that Abraham sought. He never got the city. He never saw the Messiah physically, tangibly. He's going to come out of my body. He's going to come out of my family tree. But I never did see him. Did you know what he's saying to these 
believers that are being persecuted, some are weighing whether I abandon Christianity altogether. And he's writing the book to encourage them, don't give up, don't turn back. Christ is really the real thing. Don't abandon your faith in him, even if it gets rough, even if it gets tough. Look, I'm telling you what the people of God, I'm, I'm giving you Jewish history of what your people have been through already. They weren't wrong. The Messiah came. The Messiah came. The city will come. We may die without getting all that was promised, but faith is the foundation in our being of things hoped for in the future. And it is a conviction that things I've not yet seen are real, though I've not yet seen them. Hebrews 11.1, 1, that's what he says. So he's telling these people, don't give up your hope. Don't give up your faith. And it won't always be rosy. I think sometimes when we can preach, we all want to say, look, faith can deliver you from the lion's den. Yes, and faith can also enable you to go into that den and not come out alive. It did in church history. Thousands never came home. Thousands saw their children and wife killed. And even if they're burning them at the stake. Last year I gave all of our elders and deacons a book of church history. And every day, and many days, of uh, it's like a, a daily devotional of church history. And every day, every other day, it seems like you read about another martyr or another person that was persecuted. My, my, it, it's not the way I want to start my day. Sometimes our persecution is we're trying to overcome the lukewarmness and the touchiness we have for one another. When all the time Jesus said, they'll only know you, watch this, hear me, because you've got the right doctrinal creed. Is that what he said? They'll know you because they can see you observed observing you manifest a supernatural kind of love. And I think they'll see you in the struggles of life, either being delivered or submitting to it by the will of God. God, I've been trusting you a long time. I think of a, a dear woman who used to sit second or third row for years, had five sons, and many times sat during a service with her head down, she wouldn't look at me because she'd been praying and fasting over 30 years, at least 30 years, for God to save one of those boys, and none of them were saved up to that time and none as of today as far as I know. What if she dies without any of them being saved? Was she a fool to trust God for them? The faith that perseveres even when deliverance does not come. I think of Amy Carmichael, wonderful, wonderful missionary to India. And in her latter days, she had a horrendous fall, wound up being bed fast, and out of that being restricted to a bed, we got all, so much of her wonderful poetry and her writing. But you know what? She died an invalid in the faith, 
a Fanny Crosby all of her life writing the song. She said, you know, heaven will be much more to me than any of you for my first time to ever have sight will be when I see Jesus. For I've never been privileged to see in this life. Uh, sometimes I see the greatest faith manifested in the greatest suffering and remaining under the pressure. Not everyone is delivered. They die of disease. They die of persecution. They die of rejection. They die of a thousand different things. So faith isn't only I conquer, I'm promoted, I got a new job, I got more money, I got bigger positions. So what? What about a sister over here or a brother over here? They're still poor in Guatemala. We got a church up in Salem. They visit the dumps of Guatemala every year. Sean and some of the men plan to go with them. Why, can God have any of his children living at a dump? You better believe it. Anglos and whites and Americans aren't the only ones that name his name. There's a whole lot of people in this world that have little or nothing. They're thankful they can get sanitized water that are God's children. And they just keep serving him, keep loving him, keep being true. And sometimes we just gripe. It can never get good enough for us. God deliver us from the whining of American culture. We are blessed, 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 blessed. Faith conquers. Faith sometimes continues when it doesn't seem to be well in suffering. And he finally says there that we are all completed. What we've got in common with Old Testament saints and what we share together is we've all, they had to live in expectation of Messiah coming. And we know that he has come. And we're in unity here together that we all believe the promise of God. We have known that he came. Abraham was longing for it. But we're joined together by this common faith that says we believe the promises of God. And guess what? The greatest virtue any of you have, the greatest virtue is to say, I'm a believer. I believe God when he says it. Well, were you a prostitute? Maybe. Were you a thief? Maybe. Were you an immoral person? Maybe. You don't want to line up what I've been, where I've been, what I've done. My only virtue is in time, God enabled me to take him at his word. And in time, I believe the only virtuous thing a thief ever did in his life is on the cross. He said, thou art the Christ. And I believe if you give the word, I could spend eternity with you. This day, I'll see you in paradise. And he was on the cross for murder and insurrection. So he took a man on death row, dying in the electric chair. He said, by the way, because you finally in life, believe me, it's the first time you've ever believed God, I'll see you there. This is our gospel. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved.
God bless you. You're dismissed.